Hey everybody, what's up? It's your boy Patrick, and I'm back with another Body Shot podcast episode. This is episode 6 now. And today what we're going to do is, I just want to talk about the UC Fight Night, Covington vs. Woodley, that happened over the weekend. And uh, besides that, there is only one piece of MMA news that I would like to talk about. And that is that Michael Chandler from the lightweight Bellator champion finally got signed with the UFC. And not only did he get signed with the UFC, but he is apparently on standby for the Khabib, for, uh, the Khabib and Justin Gaethje fight. Just in case one of them drops out to step in as a late replacement. Which is, one on one hand, it's cool that he came over to the UFC finally. But on the other hand, that's just like a bitch slap to all the other people that are waiting in line for the title shot. Like Charles Oliveira. Charles Oliveira, Oliveira probably earned his title shot against Kevin Lee. So it wasn't too long, too long ago that Kevin Lee was fighting Tony Ferguson for the interim light, uh, lightweight championship. So yeah, honestly, if Michael Chandler does fight Khabib or Justin Gaethje, I think I think the Gaethje, and, the Gaethje fight will be a little bit more interesting just because, I don't know, against Khabib, like Michael Chandler is a very, very good... Uh, I don't know, actually. He's a very good wrestler. You see all his training videos with, like, Kamar Usman where he's just, like, doing all these crazy scrambles and all these crazy, like, funk rolls. And he's really, he has a really good takedown defense, obviously. He's, like, a really amazing wrestler. But I just feel like his style of fighting is more... Uh, he comes forward and he looks for the big right overhand right. And that just might play into getting easy takedowns for Khabib. Versus if he was facing, like... Uh, well, like, now Justin Gaethje kind of has, like, this new... Uh, way of fighting he's more like a, he's kind of like a point fighter now instead of like a, he, a hands glued to your head type of uh, walk you down fighter so I think that would be like a pretty interesting fight anyways let's talk about this UFC fight night Covington versus Woodley card so actually I'll just start with the Covington and the Woodley fight because that's probably why everybody is listening to the podcast right now probably that's the, probably the one that people were most excited for last night. So, Kobe Covington versus Tyron Woodley. This was just a case of Woodley being, Woodley performing how he's been performing like his last couple performances. Just back against the cage, scared to th- open up, and just getting held down and held against the cage and beat up. And this time he ended up breaking his ribs for it. Woodley has this problem that he's just. He really is like kind of like the definition of a big takedown and big punch. He's kind of like what, you know, could be a champion back in the day. Like, you know, 10 years ago, you can just, you could, you could be like a UFC champion just by having like a really big overhand right and a really good double leg like Johnny Hendricks. Johnny Hendricks was, that was basically what Johnny Hendricks was. And he was the welterweight champion. And so Willie is basically, he'll uh, like, that's his thing is that he has the big overhand right and the big double leg takedown. The one bad habit that Willie has, though, is that he always uh, pushes himself up. He, he, he voluntarily always is circling very close to the fence. And the problem with this is that when you're circling uh, near the fence is that this is just like really bad ring craft. One, you are compromising your stance because if the opponent is taking up the space in front of you and you're pressed up against the cage, you got to bring your, your legs will naturally come closer together. Right, so that compromises your stance because, as you probably know, you should know 
well, the way that you get power in your punches is by being able to, you know, get into your long stance. The longer your stance is, the better, right? So if your stance collapses underneath you, you won't be able to, you know, take those big step step ups into your into your punch. So one, you just give you're basically just putting yourself at a mechanical advantage for power punching. And two, you have nowhere to. Um, you can't move back if your opponent, like the main defense against somebody who's attacking you, like in striking, is that like it's all distance. As long as you're out of range, your opponent can't hit you. And the way that you get out of range is by you know taking a step back or pivoting to you know pivoting, just using your footwork to make sure that you're out of range. A lot of that is done by backtracking. And Woodley, he backs himself up against the fence, and then he and because he's against the fence, he has no uh, distance to wade into if the opponent comes at, comes at him. And another big problem is, is that Woodley, he has the big, he has the really strong wrestling, but he rarely ever goes to it. He rarely is like shooting the double leg offensively. It's usually just like a, as a reaction. And his big overhand right, the problem is, is that, yeah, you can have a big overhand right that can end, end the fight at any time. The thing is, is that if your opponent, like right at the very beginning, Kobe Covington ducked, like Woodley was doing some good stuff right at the beginning. He threw like, he caught a leg, he caught a kick and he threw his own leg kick, which is what I would love to see from Woodley because his arsenal on the feet are, is so limited. Um, he also was throwing like a long right hook to the body, which is like something you want to see because, you know, he has a big, he has a really good overhand right to the head. Then you can use that as a double attack. You can throw the right hook to the body. And then the opponent starts dropping their left elbow to deal with it. And then you fake the right hook to the body and come over top. Or, and then um, with these kicks, he's like, he doesn't have to be like a really technically good kicker, but he's just a really strong dude, athletic dude. He can kick the crap out of anybody and it's going to hurt. His legs are huge, but he doesn't kick that often. And what this ends up doing is because he's so limited on the feet, even though he like he can do these things, but he just chooses not to use them. Uh, what this ends up happening is that he relies so much on the overhand right, and then right away, Covington just ducked underneath the overhand right and took Woodley down. And then Woodley spent a lot of time, like he did a good job of doing a technical stand-up against the fence, but um, he did spend like a decent amount of time on his back. And by the time he got back up, and he was ready to stand up with Covington and, uh, uh, you know, kickbox again. What this does is that it puts kind of a mental block inside the, uh, in this case, Woodley's head. Because now he has to sit, now what he's saying to himself is, damn, he timed my overhand right. Now I got to like really, really, really pick my shots because if I time, mistime my overhand right, He's going to get another takedown and take me down and then he's going to, I'm going to be, I'm going to lose the round by being underneath this guy. So it makes even, makes him even more hesitant to throw his overhand right now. And then after this, it was just the Woodley modus operandi. He was circling with his back against the cage with no room to move and no, uh, no stance to hit with any like real power. And he was hesitant to fire his right hand. What ends up happening is that Woodley just ends up getting clinched. He gets beat up in the clinch. He gets beat up on the feet as he's trying to circle out. Or he gets taken down and he gets beat up on the ground. That's basically what you saw. There would be times where, um, I think it was in the second round. It was one of the earlier rounds, but Covington uh, faked a takedown. And as Woodley dropped his hands to deal with the takedown because he was worried about it, Covington came up with the right, 
uh, right hook, and uh, he either stunned or he knocks Woodley down. I can't remember exactly. And another problem that Woodley has is that against people that are stronger than him, stronger wrestlers than him, or, or can match him in the wrestling, is that when he gets into the clinch, he gets into this bad habit of just holding on to the over-under. And then what's happening is that these guys, they're, they're in the over-under with him, but because he's not making any, he's just stalling, he's not making any effort to move off of the cage with the over-under, or if they're strong enough just to pin him with the over-under, he's, uh, like, against the cage, they start beating him up. Like, you'll see, like, you know, like, Kamaru Usman, he was uh, doing the foot stomps and the, uh, the like, nice little right hook to the body. Uh, Covington was doing much of the same thing. Just beating up uh, Woodley inside the clinch. There was a nice moment where Woodley, um, where Covington ducked in for a takedown, and Woodley actually countered it with getting his own outside single, and he got Covington down, and he ended up in the front headlock, but yeah, he just ended up doing nothing. And I don't know if this is like Woodley trying, if Woodley is just, there could be a couple of things going on. Like, off the front headlock, he didn't do anything. Like, he didn't go for it. He didn't even attempt, like, to ground and pound, or he didn't even attempt to go do a go-behind on Covington. Like, there's either... He doesn't... He hasn't practiced those techniques, which I doubt, because he's, like, a high-level wrestler. Like, go-behind, that's, like, wrestling one-on-one. Um, two, he's either exhausted, and, you know, that could be a possibility. Like, he does look pretty slow in a lot of his fights. So it does look like he's the... Even though he's usually pretty inactive compared to his opponents, he is the one he is the one to fade first. So that may be a possibility. Three is that he's trying to save his cardio and just um, you know rather than trying uh, expending it, trying to uh, you know maybe advance his position or ground and pound, he just wants to hold on to the position and maybe save his cardio for the later rounds. Or four, maybe he just doesn't have confidence in himself, which I. Like, you know, it kind of looks like he's kind of been losing confidence in himself. Like, even in this fight, as soon as he got taken down, he didn't want to throw the right hand. So I'm just thinking, like, maybe he's just, like, he had the front headlock and he would rather hold on to the position rather than advance it because he's scared that he may lose it. Covington also poked Willie pretty hard in the eye and he took a really, really long break. And I was watching this fight with some of my friends who don't watch MMA regularly and they were just laughing because they knew that Woodley look was, like, tired and gassed already and... Woodley took a very long break. Almost, I think he almost took up the full five minutes for the eye poke. And my friends were just laughing. They're like, holy shit, this guy's going to take up the whole time. He's going to come out like an animal. And when he did come back in for the round, he did kind of look like he had a little bit more gas in him. And he came out a little bit more aggressive. But then like within like five seconds, he was back to backpedaling along the fence. And eventually, Kobe gets him down again and cuts, uh, actually opens up a big cut over Woodley's eye, his right eye. And then in the final round, in the fifth round, Covington goes for the takedown. Woodley tries to guillotine him, and um, try he tries to uh, he tries to guillotine him. But then he gets taken down. He loses the guillotine, and then as Covington is advancing the position, he ends up breaking Woodley's rib. So now Covington is basically back into title contention. A lot of people are saying that he should have had an immediate rematch with Usman because a lot of people actually thought he was winning going into the final round before he uh, got, you know, got, his, you know, got TKO'd. Uh, but obviously, you know, uh, Jorge Masvidal skipped the line for everybody and he ended up, he ended up fighting uh, Usman instead. So, yeah, Covington just being the, formal cha the former champion and still top five Woodley, uh, just... Basically, 
I think, put him back into title contention, just more uh, validized. The only other person that he would like, it would make sense for him to fight is like either Leon Edwards or Jorge Masvidal, but I think like a, a win over Woodley would, uh, you know, I'm down to watch as when versus Covington, uh, the rematch, and I think a lot of fans and a lot of hardcore fans even would like to watch that, so I have no, I don't, uh, I don't really care. As for Willie, I honestly don't know. Maybe if I against like Leon Edwards or something like that. I think Leon, <laughs> Leon Edwards is gonna, you know, beat up Woodley too, and then this, yeah, that'll be a four in a row for Woodley. So for the co-main event, we had Donald Cerrone versus Nico Price, which was a very good fight, I thought. So we had Donald Cerrone. You know, he's pretty old now. He's like a like basically a legend in the lightweight division, but you know, this is like the tail end of his career. This is Nico Price. Uh, you know, Nico Price, pretty good welterweight, decent welterweight, hard hitter. Nico Price is a big hitter, and Don Cerrone was like, is a is a notoriously like slow starter. So uh, you would expect Nico Price to come out really strong at the very beginning of the fight, and that's basically what he did. Um, he came he came out, and what he was doing a really good job of doing was entering with he what he would do is that he would throw the right front kick to the body. And then step down and start throwing combinations, which is uh, you know really good because uh, Don Cerrone he is also notoriously has a weak liver. Like he has a like he he reacts really badly to body shots. So you know if you enter on the right uh, front kick, that's like something that he has to like deal with. He doesn't really want to get hit by uh, those type of big hits to the to the body. So that gives a uh, as a uh, and then as Nico steps down, he can enter in on. Sony with punches basically because usually what will happen is that you know they'll either drop their hands to block the kick or they'll try to parry it and that means that their hands will be down uh, to deal with the kick so you start entering with uh, punches and what Sony does is that whenever he does feel like he's like in trouble he'll try to duck in for like a clinch or like a little quick takedown but uh, what Price was also doing good was he was framing off of Sony like he'd frame off of him with his like left arm so uh, he'd he would deny the clinch for Cerrone, or he denied the he denied the clinch. He would deny the ability for Cerrone to grab the clinch, and then he would grab his own. Uh, Nico Price would grab his own uh, single collar tie, and then he started hitting Cerrone with mad elbows. It was like it must have been like five or six elbows in a row, and Cerrone just ate them, which is insane. Because you know Cerrone, he is getting older, and his chin isn't as great, but like Cerrone has a chin on him. If like. You remember him when he fought Nate Diaz? He took like 200 or 300 punches on the dome from Nate Diaz and he kept on going. So Cerrone has always had like a really good chin. He's always had a weak body, but very, very good chin. And yeah, it was like classic Cerrone just getting beat up by like, you know, getting beat up for like the first three minutes or so. And then what ended up happening is that after the first three minutes, you started seeing Cerrone start coming back into the fight. And a big part of this is that Nico Price, um, after about three minutes, he's kind of he stopped going to what was working for him um, at the beginning of the fight, and that was entering off of the front kick or even the left roundhouse kick. What he's doing is that he kind of got more comfortable throwing punches, and he just started coming in with the combinations. And uh, Don Cerrone, what he would do is that uh, he would do a good job of either fit, uh, letting. Nico tried to enter in on punches, fade back, and then come back with his own uh, combination, usually ending with like a left high kick. Or he would just duck into the clinch as, you know, Nico Price would throw like a power punch. And then 
that's when Cerrone started doing a really good job of, uh, you know, landing uh, more blows in the clinch, like knees and such. He would always, like, do this thing where he would try to, like, exit the clinch too. Like, as they're, as they're exiting the clinch, he would throw up a high kick to try to catch uh, Nico off balance or not paying attention. And, you know, a bunch of the typical Cerrone techniques came back. Uh, his jab was doing really good. Like that famous, like, I don't know, after that ally went to uh, fight, everybody's been saying that Cerrone has like an amazing jab now. So, that, yeah, his jab was coming back. He also hit uh, Price with a pretty good intercepting knee. Like his intercepting knees are always very good to the body or to the head of like shorter uh, opponents. And Cerrone did a good job of, <laughs> a couple times when he entered the clinch, he would duck down and he would, uh, you know, kind of, uh, he would hit he basically hit uh, Nico Price with a nodder and this is like this is kind of like the gray area of fighting like obviously headbutts are illegal but you know if you hit your opponent by a headbutt and it looks like you were just going for a takedown or you're trying to enter the clinch and the ref doesn't call it that's like you know that's just like something that you can uh, you can abuse uh and you know in a fight you want you you know you want to win right so and uh and Sorry, but the reason why uh, a nodder, <laughs> besides the ethics of this like great area in MMA, uh, the great thing about the nodder is that if you feel like an opponent is being like too aggressive on you, uh, you know that's a really good way. Nothing will calm down a person uh, more than running into basically a bowling ball right onto their face or their nose. You know what I mean? Like stepping in on somebody's head, it really really hurts, and it can like you know break your nose. It can stun you. So very very like good cheeky way of uh you know slowing down your opponent and then nico price ended up poking Cerrone again later in the fight in the eyes and this actually caused the fight uh, this actually caused price to have a point deduction that ended up affecting the outcome of the fight obviously so basically what we have right now is that nico price like nico price is still landing like the odd kicks he's actually doing really good with the left roundhouse kick and um you know when he enters the combination of kicks Starting with a kick, he's getting in on Cerrone, but then there'll be times when he's just entering with punches and Cerrone will just, uh, you know, basically be able to counter whenever he's able, uh, whenever he's just stepping with the punches. And eventually Cerrone actually gets a takedown in the third round. He hits Price with a takedown and quickly climbs to his back and gets his hooks in and rides on top of Nico's back for a big portion of the round until he gets slid off of it. And then in the end, the fight was a split draw. One judge scoring the fight for Cerrone and then two judges scoring the fight a draw. So if Nico Price hadn't poked the fuck out of... Because he poked Cerrone so hard in the eye. Like literally Cerrone's eye was bleeding right after the poke. It was a really hard ass poke. Um, but if he hadn't poked him, he would have won that fight split decision. Because he would have been up on the scorecards on two of the judges' scorecards. And he would have lost the one scored card. So he would have been, it would have been a split decision win for him. So this is why we need better gloves in MMA. Damn it, UFC, Dana White, fix the damn gloves. Okay, what do we have next? Oh yeah, Kam, uh, Kamzat Shemeyev versus Kamzat, Kamzat Shemeyev versus Gerald Mearshat. Uh Yeah, this one, just Gerald just like kind of like threw away the fight. Uh, Shemeyev walked him down to the fence. It was softball versus Orthodox. Just got that right, he got the right hook in, faster, knocked out Gerald. Nothing to really say about this fight, just means that Shemayev can hit hard and Gerald has bad striking defense. 
Now I guess Shemeyev is about to fight Damian Maya now, because apparently that fight was announced before this fight even this fight even took place. So uh, yeah, Shemeyev, he there is a lot of hype behind him, but it's just like he got you know two people. He's a really really strong wrestler and obviously a hard hitter. Now now we know that he's like a really hard hitter um, on the feet. Anyways, we knew that he could always hit hard on the ground. Like he had a really really good ground and pound. But now that we know that he's a hard hitter on the feet, uh, to me, this Damian Maya fight, like, it doesn't really... You can tell what the UFC is doing here because, it, you know, everybody loves Damian Maya, obviously. So if Damian Maya wins, that's a good thing. But Shemayev is, you know, a really strong wrestler. And, you know, Damian Maya has struggled and a lot of his losses were against guys who had really good wrestling defense. So I, I'm only guessing that Shemayev has really good wrestling defense. And, doing, uh, you know, Demi Maya, not the biggest hitter on the feet. Not the most technical either. So, and he has been knocked out recently by, you know, Gilbert Burns. Another strong grappler who's not going to get taken down easily. Who can hit really hard on the feet. So, and, you know, Tyron Woodley, same thing. Anderson Silva is a little bit different, but Anderson Silva has always, you know, been really good at, like, takedown defense. That's, like, one of his big things. So, yeah, not looking like a good fight for Demi Maia, regardless. If Shemayev really wanted to test himself, I would give him somebody uh, a little bit, like, you know, oh, Shemayev versus Geoff Neal. That would be sick. That would be a good fight. Geoff Neal, really, really good, a strong wrestler. But he's a very, very, very strong, uh, you know, striker, and he's like southpaw, I believe. Like it just like it, uh, it'd be like it would be it would be a pretty interesting matchup. I think that'd be a pretty good matchup. I like that one. Oh yeah, and Gerald Mirka. I don't know. I don't know what to do with that guy. He's like not that great of a like. He's like maybe I, I don't know if he is top fifteen. I didn't check, but yeah, he's like nothing like too crazy. Then we had Johnny Walker versus Ryan Span, and this fight was hilarious because Johnny Walker had to get knocked out three times before he could knock out Ryan Spann with hammer fists and elbows to the back of the head. And also apparently Johnny Walker was training at SBG for this fight which was hilarious to me. Walker comes out with a hard leg kick and he gets clipped with a really hard left hook and gets pushed to the against the cage from that left hook so he gets clocked right off the bat. He throws a nice leg kick but throws a naked so he gets clocked right off the back. And then uh, Span starts chasing down a takedown, which he gets. And then, but Walker does a good job of actually, you know, wall walking up and quickly breaking off the wall, which is actually pretty impressive. Because in this uh, fight with Krylov, I believe, he was stuck underneath him for a lot of that uh, match. And yeah, Walker kept on getting caught by left hooks here. And then uh, he gets dropped by another left hook and he gets quickly mounted. And what ends up happening is that. He gets mounted and Spam is like sitting on top of one of his legs. So well, Johnny Walker basically has an underhook underneath one of Ryan Spam's legs. So he uses that to bridge, help him bridge, which is like, you know, it helps you bridge. It creates a more powerful bridge. But the problem is, is that anybody who's like, you know, decent at jiu-jitsu will just put you in a, uh, into a triangle because you have one arm in and one arm out. And that's basically what Spam does. But... Uh, uh, Johnny Walker was able to uh, posture up in time and get out of it which you know if he caught triangle that would just be it oh my gosh it's like Johnny Walker is just kind of to me he's just kind of turning into like a meme fighter and then Johnny Walker gets hit by another left hook that drops him so his third left hook that drops him and Spam pursues the takedown 
and he presses Walker up against the uh, against the cage, like looking for a takedown. But then uh, Johnny Walker is spreading his legs, and he starts going for hammer fists to the side of the head. But a lot of them are hitting in the back of Ryan Spann's head, and it only takes a couple to you know getting him in the back of the head. Sucks really, really, really bad. It's very disproportionately strong compared to getting hit in the face, like in the front of your head. I mean. Because the skull, your skull is thicker in the front of your face rather uh, than the back of your head. And also, like, you know, you can get, like, pretty bad nerve damage. Because, like, you know, it's, some hit you in the, st- your, your, uh, you know, your brain stem. Some hammer fist will hit you in the top of the spine. Like, that's pretty, like, you know, pretty dangerous area to hit. And then um, Walker ends up murking Span with those Travis Bound, like, hell blows. Those little 12 to 6 elbows from the side when you're defending a takedown. And he knocks Span the fuck out. You know, Span was looking good. Johnny Walker was looking terrible. He got knocked out three times in this fight. Span was looking good until, you know, he wasn't looking like crazy good, but, you know, he was looking decent. But, yeah, man, got to watch out for those, got to watch out for those strikes from that position. Okay, Mackenzie Dern versus Randa Marcus was another fight that I liked. Uh, just because of this, fi- I'm just going to talk about this finishing sequence for Mackenzie Dern. Because it was pretty cool. So Mackenzie Dern, she goes, she uh, basically makes her way to three-quarter mount on Marcos. And she's in three-quarter mount and she's un, uh, she's underhooking Marcos's left arm. And Marcos is on her side. And what, uh, because, uh, because uh, Mackenzie Dern can't uh, free her foot from the three-quarter mount, she, uh, she can't drop down into like an arm bar or something. Even though she has, uh, she has Marcos's arm up. And tucked in underneath her, and she has like the underhook on it. She and she can't go for the armbar because her leg is stuck. So what she does instead is that she weaves her right foot, I believe. Yeah, she gets her foot. Ac- she weaves her foot, her right foot over Marcos's left shoulder to get the foot across. Like it's interweaving with her over her. It's coming from over her shoulder un- and underneath her chin. And then Darren falls to the side with Marcus's hand like she has like she uh she does like the arm bar where you you're doing the arm bar instead of doing this a straight arm bar you're tucking the arm bar under you're putting the wrist underneath your armpit and you're you're falling back like that but because her leg is still stuck in the three-quarter mount she can't pop her hips fully into the arm bar and you know i'm guessing that you know women just usually it just seems like they have like more flexible joints than men so they can that's why you'll see them like be in a full arm bar basically and not tapping because they're like you know joints are made out of rubber so marcos is is uh, what Dern is trying to do actually is uh she's she's trying to change she thinks that she can change the angle of the arm bar she'll switch from underneath her right armpit to a straight arm bar on her hips to a uh, putting the wrist underneath her left armpit so she just keeps on switching her grips and the angles to try to get it but it doesn't really work so what she ends up doing is that she starts hitting Marcos with some hard-ass hammer fists to the body and to the face. And then she's able to uh, kind of wigger her foot free from Marcos's legs. And then she's able to put, fully extend her hips into Marcos and get the tap. So yeah, this was a really, like, Mackenzie Dern, crazy on the ground. I like her. I like her a lot. Ronda Marcos. I don't know. She's like 10 and 10 now, 10 and 9. She's like, like a 50-50 record now. Uh, but I'm pretty sure she's not the worst woman in the... This was bantamweight or featherweight? Bantamweight? Can't remember. Anyways, all I know is that she's probably one of the better ones. Better fighters in the division. 
I also watched Kevin Holland versus Darren Stewart in their middleweight scrap. And yeah, this one was okay. This one was a pretty fun fight. Kevin Holland, a little bit more bouncy Taekwondo. They say he's a Kung Fu fighter. And Darren Stewart is, uh, you know, more traditional. Like, just a little bit more traditional stance. A little bit hunched over, chin tucked type of deal. And uh, from the... From this fight, I've never really, I don't think I've watched a Kevin Holland fight or a Darren Stewart fight before, but basically Kevin Holland likes to fight with his lead foot, he likes to sidekick and throw roundhouses off it and then step down into punches uh, off of that kick, and Darren Stewart is like, he's kind of more of like, uh, there's a little bit of everything, he has like a good right hand, decent kicks, and uh, yeah, so at the beginning of the fight, caught a Kevin Holland gets caught right off the bat because he throws a left lead kick, leg kick and gets caught with a right hand. What ends up happening is that Holland grabs a clinch and, push it, and pushes Stewart to the fence. And he throws a lot of hammer fists to the thigh, thigh of Stewart. I'm not going to lie. Like, these guys are pretty big. So I'm not... Honestly, I would not doubt that those like, actually like hurt. Like, and that might actually affect like your movement. If you have like bad Charlie Hose in your thigh, it might affect your movement later on in the round. And uh, they end up breaking off the clinch and Holland actually catches Stewart with a right uppercut because Stewart is like in a really bent over stance. So like he's kind of hunched over and Stewart ends up getting a gill gets a nice, uh, he ends up getting a single leg takedown and he like, he gets a single leg and he pushes Holland against the fence. And then f what Holland does is that he uses a guillotine grip to, uh, as a takedown defense, uh, and there's going to be another, uh, the other fight, the, my favorite fight of the night, uh, Mizrod Bektik and Damon Jackson. Um, there are techniques that you like use. They're kind of like anti-wrestler techniques like Kimuras and guillotines because those are, tech, those are um, submissions from basically advantageous positions that are, like, it's typically an advantage to be in those positions for wrestlers. So being on a single leg or a body lock Usually wrestlers have a very like, those, those are like naturally powerful positions for them. But as soon as you throw on the Kimura or a guillotine, uh, there is the danger that like, you know, you get caught into the submission if you're not, not if the technique isn't performed like perfectly or if you're not like managing your defense properly. So it can create hesitancy, hesitancy in wrestlers to go for those techniques and they might bail out or they might get just stuck in those positions is trying to defend the submission. Yeah, Stewart, uh, what he does is that he go, he uses the guillotine as like a takedown defense and he uses the Kimura later, later in the fight too. There's a point where he ha uh, Stewart has like a body lock on Holland and he's pushing him up against the fence and Holland uses the Kimura to uh, basically reverse the position. Yeah, so what you basically saw was just like a lot of, a lot of uh, Kevin Holland stepping in with the lead leg uh, hit like attacking the lead leg, entering with it, and then stepping in with punches. And Darren Stewart and catching Darren Stewart, and he caught him off a couple times with like a decent left hook. And a lot of it was also Darren Stewart just trying to like push Holland against the fence with the clinch or uh, shoot for a takedown and work for a takedown. And Holland doing a really good job of defending it. But at the end of the round, what ends up happening is that Stewart finally gets Holland to the ground and he ends up in Holland's half guard. And he does a really good job, actually, of hitting Holland with nice elbows and hammer fists. And Stewart did it. Stewart, what Stewart was doing was that usually what you want to do when you're in half, the bottom of half guard is turn to face your opponent. And Stewart was facing, trying to turn away, kind of like use his back and his shoulder and his arm to de deflect uh, Stewart's 
ground and pound and counter with like elbows from the bottom was which was kind of cool but like it's just like a very this seems like he just put himself in a very compromising position rather than it's better it's always better to improve your position than to attack than attack from a disadvantageous position so this was actually my favorite fight of the uh the night Mirsad Mirsad uh, Bektik versus Damon Jackson so apparently Jackson was a four-day replacement and forgot to see who he replaced, but he was a four-day replacement for Bektik and you start to see, this is a perfect example of like this like crazy time right now and during the pandemic, during lockdown, is that these late replacement fights, like it's just kind of like luck of the drop because sometimes you're getting out of shape, you're getting late replacements that are coming in out of shape and getting blown out of the water and other times you're getting late replacements that are, you know, because they're late replacements and they're so different from like the opponents that uh, the first fighter was originally uh, training for, they can cause problems and you know we're seeing people lose and this is a good example of this. And like Bektik, like so just the, like Bektik, you he like his whole game, he he was basically executing his game plan to a T. His whole thing is double legs and body lock takedowns to the ground riding you with the, uh, you know, like the, you know, ground and pound, just riding the positions, like uh, the Dagestani, you know, go-to technique. But what um, Jackson was doing a really, really good job of was that um, he was always making sure to use those like anti-wrestler techniques. So it's like guillotines and like the whole thing is that he was going for guillotines and Kamar grips the whole fight, which, you know, it if one, if one, it would like stall out Bektik for a bit and it would make him, you know, be very, very careful on uh, advancing position or attacking and that would, you know, delay the ground and pound. So it gave uh, Jackson like time to recover and, and whatnot. And he's using that, he's using the Kimura and the guillotine. But yeah, Bektik, you know, he's a savage with the takedowns. Yeah, he was taking, uh, he took Jackson down and up in his half guard and Jackson was trying to go for a, a deep half guard and Bektik actually ended up hitting him in the back of the head or he was saying that it was in the back of the head but the ref was saying it was so they had to get the uh they had to get the position the the fight reset in the middle of the in the octagon and then yeah all it was was that Bektik would wa walk uh Jackson down either with strikes or takedowns to the fence and he would be beating him up against the fence take him down and then he would beat him up on the ground and in between those beatings Jackson would uh, you know have some like pretty close moments where he would grab a guillotine or he would grab like a Kimura grip uh, there was one point where it this one was actually pretty cool is that Jackson was on one knee trying to build up against the fence like wall walk and Bektik was uh, kneeing him to the body which was like really nice and then after Jackson builds up against the uh, fence he would yeah again Bektik would go for a body lock Jackson would grab a Kimura and then Bektik would be, you know, wouldn't strike, and he'd just be, he'd be more concerned about trying to get out of the, out of the Kimura. And then if he took him down, he would end up in a like a guillotine. And what, most of the time, what he was trying to do was that he would just tripod up and thus use his arms to, he'd really push down on the grip and try to like, you know, push down on Jackson's elbows to open them, open up the hands and let go of the grip. But what ends up happening is that in the third round. Like this, like, and then what ends up happening in the third round is that Bektik is going for his own guillotine. And then as he's falling down, uh, like Jackson's trying to jump over him and like kind of like cartwheel over him, but he ends up upside down against the cage. So like his whole weight is going like, through his neck while he's like upside down, 
it held in an upside down guillotine. And then what ends up happening is that uh, he ends up rolling all the way over and ending up on the top of Bektik. And he ends up in Bektik's, like, top of Bektik's half guard. And he ends up elbowing Bektik in the back of the head. But what was very impressive was that Jackson came out very, very fresh for this fight. And he was, like, you know, obviously the fresher fighter for whatever reason. Like, maybe he's just better cardio or maybe um, Bektik wasted a lot of his cardio just trying to finish the fight or whatever it may be. But this is the actual finishing sequence, sorry. But Bektik is tired and he shoots a takedown and Jackson gra grabs a guillotine grip and he rolls Bektik over and then he ends up on like a mounted guillotine and he submits Bektik. So this is why you shouldn't take any late fights or late replacement fights, especially at bottom weight, featherweight, or lightweight. The three deepest divisions, fuck it, man. Because the guy who is in the, you know, the top 30 of the division, like number 30 lightweight in the world, could easily just can become a champion just as easy as like number five in the world. You know what I mean? So yeah, late replacement fights, not the best. And this kind of back is like, you know, Bektik, he's like actually like a really exciting fighter, really good fighter, but now he's on a three fight lose streak. He lost to Dan Ige. He lost to, oh, what was the other person? I forgot the other person. And then he also lost to Damon Jackson now. Like a late replacement, a four-day late replacement. That, that, that cannot look good. But we'll see. We'll see what happens with him. Hopefully he doesn't get cut. Give him another, give him like a top 15 guy. Even though he just lost to an unranked guy. I don't know. Give him somebody he can beat, please. Um, what else was left on the card? Not much. Uh, Derek Minner versus TJ Lamar, uh, L Laramie. That was a fight that I was interested in just because I'm Polish-Canadian. I'm from Canada. I was born in Canada. And TJ is Canadian. He's a Canadian prospect. And he, uh, you know, won on the Contender Series. He got his first fight. And this was, like, his big debut. And, yeah, it was pretty underwhelming. Um, he just ended up pushing Minner against the cage and getting guillotined. He just left his head up there. And when uh, Derek fell to the ground, like, he pulled the he pulled guard to finish the guillotine. Um, he had one of Minner, uh, he had one of uh, Laramie's legs, like, feet stuck in between his legs. And Laramie would try to push on Minner's leg to free his foot, but then Minner readjusted it and he, Laramie just ended up tapping. So hopefully he's still able to like, hopefully he gets another fight in the UFC and hopefully he uh, gets a better performance. Randy Costa versus Journey, uh, Journey Nelson. Really quick fight, Randy Costa, Randy Costa, very tall, switches to softball, catches him with a classic height. Um, Journey, Journey Nelson, he was in orthodox and Randy Costa was in southpaw. And he just hit him with the left left high, like the classic left high kick from southpaw stance, knocked him out. So nice on him. And then finally we had Tyson Nam versus Jerome Rivera, which was like a decent fight. I've never seen I know Tyson Nam was is a flyweight that's kinda like, you know, I think he just broke into like the top fifteen or whatever. But I didn't like ever watch one of his fights or Jerome for Rivera's fights, but Right away, you can tell Nam is all about the counter right hand. Like that is his, that is what he's looking for. And Rivera is like a tall southpaw, and what Rivera was looking for was the inside left low kick to the inside of Nam's left leg. So typically, left like when you're in southpaw and you feel the left kick, you usually typically aim it to the body or the head. But he was aiming it to the inside of uh, Nam's leg, which is like you know good attrition weapon. But he gets countered off of that right away. And then he ends up getting countered like three more times by the right hand. And all, all that's happening is that Nam is just walking uh, Rivera down. And then he'll throw like 
a nice combination to the body and you know and the and the combinations with like the right hand to the head and then he ends up in the second round countering the left that left low kick to the inside of his thigh he count he times it counters it with the right hand and knocks Rivera out pretty bad considering that they're flyweights that was like pretty impressive so Tyson Nam good fight too those were all the fights Next week, this weekend, we have UC 253, which is a stacked main card with Israel Adesanya versus Paulo Costa headlining it. There's also a fighter from my city, Calgary, Alberta, that I've met a couple times. He's cousins of one of my friends, Hakeem Dewaru. He's fighting Zubair. Can't pronounce his last name. On, the, on that card, he's opening up the main card, so I'm pretty excited to see some Calgary talent on a big stage like that. And I'm pretty excited for that fight. Israel versus uh, Costa. That seems crazy. Oh, yeah. Jan Blachowicz. I'm also Polish. Uh, he's uh, making his run for the lightweight heavyweight title. And Dominic Reyes is, you know, making stake to his crown because we all know that he lost to John Jones. So I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. Like it if you watched it on YouTube. Uh, if you, you know, if you want to leave a review, like a five-star review, that'd be pretty dope because apparently it helps with the algorithm of being found on YouTube or um, on like podcast. So yeah, or in, I'll leave a link in the, uh, you know, you can get always give me a follow on all my social medias and I'll leave a link in, down below for you to do that if you like. And yeah, that was the Body Shot podcast episode. I hope you guys enjoyed and I'll see you after UFC 253. Peace.